0: I have a nephew who is now grown and married, he's in his 20s, but when he was just a little kid, uh, my brother and sister-in-law were living in an apartment, and they had Devin, who was my nephew, and I don't even know how, how old Devin was, but he was uh, not a toddler, but maybe, maybe five, somewhere around there, not even elementary school age, and they had Sarah, my niece, who was in the, in the toddler stages. Well, my brother's in his room one day, and Devin comes marching in, and he's, serious and he tells my brother he says dad Sarah you need to come see this dad and my brother walks in, Sarah colored all over the front door and my brother looks at the front door of their apartment and there is marker I mean just all oh, not not a marker line I mean it's a Picasso work of art and my brother looks at it and he looks at Devin and he goes Sarah did that and Devin goes yes sir and my brother says Sarah come here and Sarah toddling, toddles all in and, and he hands her the marker and he says, hey, I want you to go up and, and I want you to reach your hand up as high as you can up against that door with this marker. And she goes up to the door and reaches her hand up as high as she can and all of the artwork is all above her reach. And Brian looks at it and he looks at Devin and he goes, Devin, she, she can't even reach it. And without missing a beat, he goes, oh, she got the stool out of the kitchen. We don't want to get caught, right? I mean, we're... We are, we'll, we'll, let's all admit, we are, we're broken. We've got issues that we're dealing with, every one of us. But we don't want people to know it. We don't want to be caught in, in sin. We don't want to be caught um, being somebody behind the scenes that we're not out in public. And so we'll do just about anything we can do to keep the front. I mean, we will we'll lie more. We'll spin that web of deceit. We'll compound other bad decisions on top of the bad decision we've already made so that nobody else finds out, right? We don't, we don't want to get caught. If we do get caught, and you've said this to your kids, but they learned it from adults, they get caught and they go, I'm sorry. And our first question is, are you, are you sorry or are you sorry you got caught, right? I mean, they, they, didn't, they didn't learn that from, from nowhere. I mean, we're the same way. And so what would it look like to to live a life that is real, that says, hey, I've got issues. And again, we're not saying the sin issues that you have, the things that are broken, we're not talking about embracing them and celebrating them and going, this is just who I am. But as we're walking with Christ, as we're moving towards the person that God has created us to be, and we're dealing with those things, and God is working on us of being able to say, hey, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect God is doing these things in my life, and and He's He's helping me through that. But it's difficult because we don't want people to know about our sin or our brokenness. But let's be honest for a second. We'll take fakeness out, so we're talking about not being plastic. We're gonna be real. Sin is fun, right? I mean, it is. I mean, for for the time being, it always has the long term consequences. But on the short run of things, sin is great. Otherwise, we wouldn't be tempted. We're not, like, tempted to do things that, like, are, are good for us in the long run. We're tempted to do things that are good for us now that have consequences later. Like, when you get to be my age, I'm 42, like, my metabolism slowed down. I can't eat or I'm not supposed to eat like I used to because I just keep getting fatter and fatter. Temptation, there there's never been, like, temptation for me to, like, have a, a kale and carrot salad, right? There, there's never been a moment where I walked in, I was like... Hmm, that looks, that doesn't even look good now. Like, I mean, there's never been like, you know, I, sh- I probably shouldn't. Yes, I should. That should probably be what I eat. I'd probably be more healthy. But what, what for me is the temptation is, is Bluebell ice cream. That's where the temptation comes, right? You're going to have to click for me. That clicker's not working. Um, and it's not just like, do I eat Bluebell? That's not the temptation. The temptation is, do I go back for seconds? Do I, do I put in a cup and pour two Cokes on top of it to make a Coke float. That's the temptation, because it, it, it's good right at the beginning, and it's good then, it's, it's, it's later, when, I, when I'm you know, 30 pounds overweight, that it's not good. But sin feels good at first, but here's what we do. Like, like Church people do this real well. Not Christians, church people. Take their mistakes, they take their sin, they take their brokenness, and because they don't want to get caught, they figured out how to hide it. They bury it away so that, that when, when we see each other and we talk, you don't know that there's anything wrong in my life because I want you to think so well about me. That's not Christianity. In fact, we're going to call that churchianity because that's what church people do, not what believers do. That's what church people do. So here, we're going to run through some, just some, a slide real quick, some differences between, this is just out of my brain. This is not like, you know, in the book of Romans or anything like that churchianity, for people who are doing that, behavior and appearance matters most. But for Christians, the heart and transformation matter most. For the church person, like I, I, it, it's how I act. For the Christian, it's who I am. And the Christian knows that how I act will flow out of who I am. Here's the second one. For churchianity, outward is more important than the inward. For Christianity, inward is more important than the outward. Those are kind of similar. But I'm concerned more about what's happening inside than I am outside. Here's the third one. Churchianity compares themselves to others. Like my, how well I'm doing in my spiritual life, I compare myself like, well, at at church and youth ministry, like, I'm a leader. I don't go and do the things everybody else does on the weekend. That's churchianity. You're comparing yourself to someone else. Christianity focuses on how God or, or who God has called them to be. I'm not where God has called me. to be. I may be, I may be better than everybody else on a moral standpoint, churchy, but I'm not who God has called me to be, so I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm comparing myself to the standard of who God has called me to be, and that is Christ-like, to be like Jesus. That's the difference. Church Andy, says the church is here for me, Or Christianity says I'm here for the church. Church Andy, I mean, it's all about, like, what can you do for me? I don't like the music. That was boring. That teacher I don't like so much, I, and so it doesn't fit me. Christianity goes, "Hey, I'm here for the church. I'm going to serve the church and figure out how to solve problems." Christianity says, "We're all perfect here." Christianity says, "There's no perfect people allowed," because there's only one perfect person, Jesus. Now, obviously, he's allowed. Now, that's the, that's the whole goal, right? But but the people that that come in and have it all together and there's no flaws, that is not Christianity because we're all broken. So here's what Christianity says. I've got it all together and Jesus is glad I'm here. Now, we never say that out loud, but that's the way we act. I've got it all together and Jesus is glad I'm here. But Christianity says, I'm broken and I'm lost without Jesus. Now, here's the deal. When you look at that, most people want Christianity But we settle for churchianity because Christianity, in that definition, is messy. Right? Guys? Any guy, this is a rhetorical question because I already know the answer. Any guys want to walk up here and go, hey, let me tell you what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with pornography. I actually may be a porn addict. No, thank you. Ain't anybody gonna come up and say that? Girls, like we wouldn't even look at like this, like that, we, we like look at some sins, others. But girls, when any of you walk up and go, you know what, I'm gonna confess to everybody, I want, I want everybody to know, my self-esteem is so low because I'm a teenage girl and I'm struggling with who I am and who God's created me and, and I think I'm ugly and I think I'm stupid and I compare myself to everybody else. And because of that, I will probably talk bad about you behind your back because to tear you down lifts me up. I just want you to know I'm a gossip and that's what I'm wrestling with. I don't wanna be that. I'm certain, but that's it. So I just want you to know. We don't, we don't wanna get messy. Because we're afraid that if we go, hey, I'm struggling with gossip, that everybody's gonna go, don't talk to her. If we're a guy and say, hey, I'm struggling with lust or pornography, then everybody's gonna go, oh, gross, that guy's messed up. And so instead of being real, and we're not talking about coming up on a platform and just all announcing our sins for everybody, but in being real in, a, in your small group on a Sunday morning, with some of your accountability partners or your friends who you're striving to walk towards Jesus with, those two or three people that love Jesus as much as you do, we're still playing games with them. We're still pretending like we've got it all together. And that's what leads us, why we put these mannequins out to symbolize, it leads us to being plastic, it leads us to being fake because it's clean and it's easy. And we can make it look like whatever we wanna make it look like. But when we start being real, it gets messy, guys. You know, I work with parents a lot. In our church, it happens on a regular basis. I see, I see families that are on the brink of divorce, and when mom and dad finally come and sit down and start talking to, to me or somebody else, we start talking about, hey, here are some things you can do. Here's some next steps. Let, let's let's do whatever we can to reconcile this marriage. Let's let's do this not just for your kids, but for you. So here are some things we need to do. How about let's try A, let's try B, let's try C. And most of the time. Those adults look at us, and they're like, it's it's too far gone. I don't even want to do those things anymore. They they came to us in the 11th hour, like at the the, the last minute. But you know what was true? They had months or years of marriage issues that someone could have come alongside them and helped them learn how to be married well had they just been honest and real. Had they just come to their small group and said, hey, guys, will y'all pray for us? Because we're, just to be honest with you, we love each other, but we're really having, we're having a difficult time. Imagine being out on a boat like this. Jack makes it to the major leagues, and he buys this boat after he's pitching for the San Francisco Giants, and he takes us all out on the boat. And we're out in the Gulf of Mexico enjoying a, a summer Collide reunion now as adults and you're walking along the edge of the boat, and and it's kind of choppy out there, but a wave comes, and the wave comes at the perfect time. The deck's kind of slick from the water already, and as you're stepping, the wave hits. You slip, and you hit the rail, and you go overboard, and you fall into the water. And you come up, and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what just happened. Like, sitting in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, and like, you know that you've got all these people that grew up with you and know you, and you're now gonna be the person for, for, from this point forward that anytime there's a boat around, everybody's gonna be like, hey, make sure you hold on. Hey, put a life jacket on before you go. You're gonna be the butt of all the jokes. Everybody's gonna be making fun of you. And you think you're you're already thinking, like, what can I do? I don't I, I gotta get back on the boat. I don't want anybody to know this is embarrassing. And you and then you start thinking, man, I don't even have any change of clothes. I'm like, I'm soaked. I'm gonna have to figure out how to how to dry off and everything so, so nobody knows. And somebody comes walking by the boat, they're that one of your friends is about to see you, and you duck your head under the water so that you're not seen because you don't want them laughing at you. You don't want them to know that you're the idiot that fell over the boat. You swim to the back of the boat, and you start to pull yourself up, try to get in, try to figure out what to do, drive so you can so you can save this situation. And as you're trying to get to the back of the boat, you keep slipping off because the boat's wet and the waves are coming. And you get about halfway up almost and you fall back down, and you do this for like 30 minutes. Trying to get on the boat, and you're like, Man, if I can just get on the boat, then I, I'll fix everything and nobody will know and I'll make it. But you're getting more tired and more tired. And in between slipping down, you're having to breathe a little bit more and rest a little bit. And sooner or later, you realize that you're getting so tired that in the midst of that, the boat, just because of the tide and the waves, keeps drifting off from you. And you realize that through all of this, you're now about 50 yards from the boat. Can I ask you a question? because I'm I'm telling you a scenario here It's really a stupid scenario. If you fall over the boat, as soon as you fall over, yell for help. They're gonna grab one of those life preservers, they're gonna throw it to you, and they're gonna save your life. But because you didn't wanna be caught, because you didn't wanna be found out, because you didn't want everybody thinking that you were the one that couldn't stand on a boat like an adult, you're gonna hide, and sooner or later, The boat's 50 yards away and you're out of energy and you drown in the Gulf of Mexico. That sounds stupid. Why would would anybody drown? I don't know. But why would any teenager or any adult have sin in their life that they're wrestling with and they're trying to follow Jesus but this temptation keeps grabbing them and they're they're now spiraling down. Why won't they call out for help? Why won't they take a life? preserver. Have a life jacket thrown to him, Because for some reason, we're more afraid of what people think of us than we are who God's called us to be. And here, here's kind of the bottom line. Failing to admit we're broken, it causes us to live a plastic life. It will cause you to become more fake and more fake. Now, now here's, here's the, the, the difficult truth to that. The more you fake it and the longer you fake it, the more you act like you've got it all together, the higher you are on that pedestal because you're a senior now in high school and you've been an all-star since sixth grade. Not just serving in youth ministry, you got on mission trips that everybody else knows, like you read your Bible more than everybody else. You know that you've got some things you're struggling with but nobody else knows because it's never been confessed, it's never been admitted, it's been hidden away and you're a senior and you've had years of that pedestal and then something happens and it all comes clean. And it's a much further fall down. You don't want to live that plastic life. Confession is what we're talking about this week. Admitting, hey, I'm broken. I'm not perfect. We need that to be healthy. Go over to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture for a few minutes tonight. And I hope, I hope if, if your parents in the parenting teen class they listen to the podcast, I hope they'll bring it to you. But let me encourage you to this. If nothing else, why don't you go home sometime this week and come back to this passage of scripture with your mom and dad? Maybe you lead in your home. And go, mom, dad, what do you think about this passage? Look in Luke chapter 18. we We're gonna read it kind of in pieces. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now, a parable is a story that has a spiritual point to it, a moral point. Okay, so Jesus is telling a story that's got a point. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down. And Jesus says, two men, went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, this guy and the other a tax collector. So let's just stop there for a minute. Because if you're listening to the story for the first time in Jesus' day, you have a different perspective than if you grew up going to a small group or going to a church here. We know, if you've read, the, I mean, if you're new to the Bible, you won't know this. If you, if you read stories about Pharisees and things like this, you know who the bad guy in the story is. It's gonna be the Pharisee i telling you now, before the Jewish person hearing the story, the Pharisee was the good guy. The Pharisee was the pastor. He was the religious leader. He had parts of the Old Testament memorized. He knew all of the law. He could tell you if you went, hey, is this right or is this wrong? He could tell you, and he was doing everything that he could to live it out publicly. That sounds like a good guy, but here's what we know. when We don't read it in this passage, even though there's a clue here, but we read in other passages that almost every time Jesus talked to a Pharisee, these religious leaders, Jesus like went after him, and like he 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 actually called him one time. He said, "Hey, you're a whitewashed tomb. You know what that means? You're all painted white on the outside. You look good, but the inside's a bunch of death and decay." What Jesus said is to the Pharisees regularly, "You're plastic. Look good on the outside, empty inside." So we know that, but we also have a clue because we just read it in verse nine that Jesus is telling the story to people who are confident of their own righteousness. "I'm a good guy. I got it all together." Now, there ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. And they even look down on everybody else. Now, the tax collector, on the other hand, if you were in church on Sunday, Kevin kind of talked to us about this. The tax collector was a Jewish person who was employed by the Roman government, which was the, the government that ruled over Israel, and Israel didn't like that. So it was like, the, he was a sellout. He sold out to go work for the bad guys, the, the Roman government, but he also wasn't just that. He, he was the one that came and took your money every year. He said, hey, you owe taxes. That hard-earned money you worked for? You owe money. And occasionally, it wasn't uncommon for him to go, Hey, you owe $2,000. And you'd go, Wait, wait, wait. I did my taxes and I owe $1,700. And he goes, No, it's $2,000. And like, No, I'm like, other? Where did you get the other $300 that I owe? And he'd say, Do you want to pay your taxes? Or do you want me to go get one of the Roman soldiers? You want to talk to a Roman soldier? No. And so people knew they were getting ripped off. Not all of them, but some of them. So we have this bad guy. Tax collector, sold out for the government, stealing from people. We got the religious leader who seemed like on the front end, the good guys, but we already know the Pharisee is gonna be the bad guy now. Here's what Jesus said. They both go up to the temple, in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. This was his prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, do- adulterers, even like this tax collector I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get sounds good fasting's a good thing it's a spiritual discipline this guy does it twice a week giving is a good thing this guy gives a tenth of all he has we see that he's moral he's not like everybody else but you can tell in his heart from his prayer I'm not like this guy and in Jesus' story, Jesus already tells us that he prayed about himself and it was all about what everybody saw, that churchy Andy, I've got it all together. But we know that he's broken inside. Jesus already told us in other times. And Jesus flips over the tax collector. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even go near everybody. He was too embarrassed. And here's what his prayer is. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, and said, God, have mercy on me. And here's this confession, a sinner. God, I'm broken. God, I, I don't have it all together. One guy says, God, I don't have it all together. I'm broken. God, I need you. I need you to do something in my life. The other guy says, I got it all. I figured it out. And everybody's looking at him going, yeah, that's the Pharisee. He's got it together. And Jesus says this in verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The guy that, that God appreciated, the guy that God was, was enamored with, was the guy who was able to say, I'm broken. I'm not plastic. I, I, I mean, I'm not plastic. I got, I got issues that, God, I need you to come in. He says, have mercy on me. God, do something in my life. You don't hear that from the Pharisee. He's not in this small group going, hey, guys, i I need God to have mercy on I me. Mean, I'm stuck in the sin pattern, and I need God to use you to help me. He's the one going, well, here's what you do. God says, this is the person that admits that he's a sinner, that confesses, that, I, that has the heart that I'm interested in. So this week, kind of where we're at is this, just the, the longer you go without being able to admit you're broken, just the more plastic you become. So I'm gonna give you just four things. Now, our adults, we're doing this with the entire church, uh, in a church, we're calling it New Life in Christ. We're just calling it plastic because it connects, I think, to us as teenagers, maybe a little more. They, they gave this thing. It's, it's the fourth thing. It's gonna spell out heal if you're a note taker. And the H is this. If you want to become less plastic, you have to honestly confess. Now, here's what confess means. This, you, write, you need to write this down if you're a note taker. Confess in the Bible literally means to agree with. Okay, so here's what I want you to understand. When you confess your sin, if you go home tonight and you have some, uh, some prayer time, you're like, God, I'm, I need to confess some things in my life, you're not telling God something he doesn't already know, okay? Like like, like if you gossiped or you looked at porn or something like that or, or, or you know, you went and skipped school today and were drinking with friends or whatever, and you go, God, I, I gotta confess this, God, I, I did this today. God is not up in heaven going, what, seriously? What, you, I didn't realize you left before school ended, like, Oh, I didn't know you, you. I didn't know you cussed out your parents as soon as you closed the door and they couldn't hear you. Man, thanks for telling me. I appreciate that. Well, okay, yeah, now that you told me, I'll like, take care of that. God is all knowing; He knows. Confession is just agreeing with God. God, when I yelled at my parents, when I cussed out my parents, when I drank, when I did whatever was against the character, God, God, I'm just agreeing with you. Confession, I'm agreeing with you that I was wrong. I'm agreeing with you that that was not your character or your nature, and I want to have your character and your nature, and God, I agree, you're right, I was wrong, but you gotta honestly do it. Specifically, your prayer should not be, and God forgive me of all my sins. That's not confession. You need to agree with God, God, I agree that this was wrong, and I agree that that was wrong, and I agree that this was wrong, and I agree that this, and God, you were right, and I'm I'm not. Honestly confess, now here's the second thing, the E. You gotta examine our sinful nature, because here's what happens. You've sinned today probably that you need to confess and you don't even know you did it. It It's just natural because it's your sin nature. You naturally look out for yourself. And so when you start examining your life, you start finding things. So y'all get into the world one day maybe of credit cards. I'm a budget person, so I go through all of my finance stuff. So when I get a credit card, I go through all of the expenses on the credit card to match it up with my budget because I try to track everything that I spend. So today I have a Mastercard. And I've got this American Express. I use my American Express for just about everything because I get points for it and points turns into free money. I just pay it off each month. Every now and then, there's some stores that don't take American Express and I've used my MasterCard. So my MasterCard bill is usually like 150 bucks, 200 bucks a month. It's it's hardly used. So I get this card and there's like this bill and there's like eight things on it. And so I'm going through and I'm marking off things on the budget. It's $25, yep, got that, and this and that. Well, then there's this, this, it's like $170 on my card. And it's nowhere in my budget. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I spent $170 on. it. it gives you a little line item that usually describes what it is. But this line item doesn't say anything like what the store was or, or nothing. And I'm like, going through, I can't figure out, but I'm going just line by line. So I end up calling the MasterCard company and I'm gonna dispute this charge. I think somebody's stolen my card and, or used it and bought something. And so I call the lady, she gets on, I said, hey, I need to, dispute a charge. I'm going through my credit card statement. And she said, what charge are you trying to dispute? And I said, there's one. It's like on October 13th. It's for $175. And she goes, um, $175, does it say this? And she reads out the line. I said, yes, man, yeah. I have no clue what that is. Um, I did not buy that. That's not mine. I-, I need to take that off my card. And this is what she says to me. She goes, that was your payment from last month. I'm a moron. Like, okay. Like, it was, that was the line. I paid my bill last month, and they showed it in there. And I'm calling going, I don't know what that is. Take it off. And she's like, that's the check you sent, you idiot. No like, oh, okay. Hang on the phone. I'm embarrassed. But I'm going through this credit card, line by line, step by step. That's examination. When you go home tonight, line by line, step by step, take yourself back through your day. Different conversations you had in first period, second period, at lunch, sports, wherever, with your parents, and just begin to pray through those things and ask God this. God, show me what I need to confess to you. And God will start bringing things to your mind. And you'll be able to agree with him and begin to purge that. And then here's the A. Hit the A for us. The A is accept Christ's offering because here's what you need to understand. If you're a believer, you're not, repent- you're, not- you're not confessing sin like for God to get you to heaven. You're already saved. Jesus already paid the, the debt for that sin Confession isn't about guilt and shame. Confession is about becoming real and not plastic. Not just with God, but with other people. And you accept Christ's gift on the cross. He died for you, and his blood forgave you. And then here's L, you leave it at the cross, or you leave it with Christ. And you go, God, I'm confessing. I agree with you it was wrong, but I'm gonna move forward and be more like you today or tomorrow than I was Got it? Confess, examine, and then accept that Jesus paid for it and leave it there and move forward. Let me tell you one last interesting statistic I saw uh, this week. They did this study uh, of people and just all kinds of people. Here's what they determined. The average person has 13 secrets. Five that no one else in the world knows. So you and me, we got 13 secrets. Eight of them, not a lot of people know, but some people do. Five of them, we've never told a soul. Now here's what they found out in the study: the more secrets people had, the more things that were hidden away, the more things that had not been exposed to the light. People who didn't have other friends or accountability partners or small groups say, "Hey, here's what's happened in my life, and I need you, that." They just kept burying those and burying those to keep them hidden. It actually had a physical and emotional, and we know, a spiritual toll on their life. They asked people how they felt at times, and and, and people who had more secrets admitted that they literally felt heavier than they were. They felt like they walked around with something on their shoulders. And confession releases that. They also did this. They would show people like a mountain or a hill and they would show people like something off in the distance. And they would ask people, like, how high do you think that, or how steep do you think that hill is? How far off do you think that point is? And the more secrets they had, the steeper they thought the hill was and the further off they thought the goal was. Isn't that crazy? That's not, that's not like Bible, that's just like science. That when we aren't real, when we, when we hide, when we put our secrets inside, we know that we become more plastic, we become more fake. But science tells us that it makes us unhealthy as we become more negative and we see the world worse off than it really is. So we're gonna move for the next four weeks through a series trying to figure out how to become real and not plastic. This week, our goal, what we're, what we're trying, your application to do, is to start practicing confession. Now here's why, I'm not, I'm not gonna ask you to do this. This is not part of, I wish you would. I'm not gonna ask you to come to small group on Sunday and have a time where everybody throws out all the sin that they're wrestling with. It might be healthy, but we're gonna take some baby steps, okay? And our baby steps are we start becoming someone who confesses and admits that we're broken to God and let him start bringing people around us that we can walk real life with, confess, and not be plastic, but be